Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, this is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Mike Pearson. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for joining in here for AOA. We appreciate you making us a part of your day. And we're going to have a good discussion here on the program. Today, we're going to talk markets in just a moment. Chris Chris Robinson, rather, of Robinson Ag Marketing will be joining in. And then in segment two, we're going to turn the focus to the cattle industry. We've got news about Paraguayan beef imports. Will they be starting or will they stay stopped? Kent Backus, Executive Director of Government Affairs for NCBA, will be joining us in segment two. And we're going to keep that conversation focused on protein as we get in to segment three. We're going to be talking with Joe Sheely, Vice President of Communications there with the U.S. Meat Export Federation. We've got tariffs coming on U.S. pork in the Philippines What does that mean as 2023 goes out a little bit farther? We'll talk about all of that here as this show goes on. We are getting Chris Robinson connected here. So give us just a moment. We'll get that done. Before we get Chris on the line, let's take a look at where the markets sit here to start the day. Corn trading mixed, old crop. We've got that May up a quarter, July down three quarters of a cent in December. Staying positive slightly in the green soybeans. We've got mixed. Oh, no, excuse me. We've got a rally going on here in the soybean market. We're up nine cents in the nearby six cents there in the November contract. Similar strength taking place in the wheat market. Uh, We've got hard red wheat up five and a quarter. We've got spring wheat finding a little bit of room to rally up a quarter penny so far today, while the Chicago contracts are all down just slightly here as trading begins today. It looks like we are still trying to get Chris here on the line, but in the meantime, we've got a news shakeup in the world of growth. Groceries. There was a huge announcement or a merger announcement made last year. Kroger and Albertsons, two of the larger grocery store chains in the country, announced that they were going to merge. It was a $25 billion deal between these two groups. And uh, needless to say, there has certainly been some controversy. A group filed a lawsuit back in February uh, looking to stop a payout by Albertsons to their shareholders in the run-up to the merger, alleging that's effectively trying to buy votes, and then saying that this $25 billion merger will add to too much consolidation in the grocery space and, quote, will be used to increase prices for groceries, decrease the quality of food, eliminate jobs, close stores, and offer less choice to the consumer. Now, the grocery store uh, chain owners say that's not true. Earlier this month, Kroger came out and said, quote, it is working cooperatively with federal regulators and added that this deal isn't going to close until we get into early this next year. Now, there's some other news floating around in the world of agriculture. This is coming from Europe. We saw recent consternation about the continuation of the grain export corridor coming out of the Black Sea. Of course, we saw both Russia and the Ukraine disagree on how long that corridor should last. As it sits right now, it is a 60-day corridor. The Ukrainians hopefully will be pushing it to 120 days. But in the meantime, Concerns about where that grain is going continue to move through Europe. In fact, Romania and Poland are working together with the European Commission. They're trying to build a mechanism for tracing this Ukrainian grain as it leaves the farm. The idea is they want to track it it back up and down the supply chain. Uh, They say that uh, the Black Sea ports have been blocked since Russia invaded here more than a year ago, and that has forced grain traders to find alternate shipping routes through the European Union, and this includes into the states of Poland and Romania. However, a lot of these Ukrainian grains, which just aren't moving very quickly due to the battle of war, have ended up in Central European states. So the idea was this Ukrainian grain was going to move through Central Europe on its track to uh, hungry populations in North Africa. But what the Romanians and the Poles are saying is instead that grain is making its way into their country, coming cheap from Ukraine, as those farmers are just looking to secure any cash from the sale of the grain. Once it makes it into Romania and Poland, the grain is staying there, bringing down prices for their local growers. And 
understandably, they're getting frustrated by that. So hopefully, from the Ukrainian and Polish perspective, they're going to be able to ensure that that grain from Ukraine that's been bought at a discount is making its way all the way through their countries and to its intended destination. Uh, they want to do this so that they can help support the prices of grain in their own countries, and they say it has had a real impact. The European Commission has estimated farmers from Poland, Romania, Hungary, Bulgaria, and Slovakia have lost just about $451 million overall as these cheaper Ukrainian grain imports have moved into their country. And Europe is really on a roll today. We've got news that coming later on today, on Tuesday of this week, the parliament in Italy is set to approve a bill that would ban the use of laboratory-produced meat in food and in animal feed, which is an interesting twist on this conversation. Uh, basically, the Italians are getting together. They say they'd have to make this move in order to safeguard, quote, the company's agri-food heritage. Now, this bill, if it were to pass today in the parliament, would still be subject to cabinet approval. The way the Italian government works, it's, it's like Congress and then the president, right? We have to pass it through Congress, and then it gets signed by the president. Similarly, in Italy, the draft bill must go through today and then tonight at 5 p.m. local time that cabinet meeting is scheduled and we'll see if this moves forward. The bill itself would forbid Italian industry from producing food or feed from quote cell cultures or tissues derived from vertebrate animals. So that would encompass most if not all of the methods used to derive this cell cultured meat and it's worth noting folks we talked about yesterday we've had two sell cultured chicken products not approved for sale or approved for use in this country, but approved by the FDA as having no more questions about the science behind it. So do expect to see the cell cultured meat continue to grow in relevance. If Italy gets that ban in place today, and if it is passed by the cabinet this afternoon, no doubt we'll be talking about the ramifications for that as we get deeper into 2023. Another change taking place. In fact, this conversation is happening in Washington, D.C. right now, and it's a throwback to the supply chain. We saw shipping come under fire. Shipping, and here I'm talking global container shipping, the force by which so many of our goods end up on our farms. And container shipping came under fire during the COVID crisis. And Consumer demand for products surged, pricing surged, container carriers made a pile of money. And they also upset a lot of people with tough service times, slow turnaround, and waits to get products on ships. Well, that pushback is now coming. We've got container carriers facing new measures in the U.S. Congress. Uh, con Congress leaders are looking to strip away longstanding antitrust exemptions and require these container shippers to load more exports, basically building on that Ocean Shipping Reform Act that was passed last year and putting more of those measures into place. Container shippers are pushing back on a lot of these requirements, but these bills are going to keep coming. We'll be talking to our friends throughout the transportation and logistics industry as these bills get closer to passage, and we'll see what sort of impact this could have here on the ag industry. Now, when AOA returns, we'll be talking with Kent Backus, the Executive Director of Government Affairs at NCBA, so stay here for more AOA coming up when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we discuss how cooperatives support farmers and ranchers and build strong communities. Each week, we'll chat with voices from across the cooperative system. From global market access to local expertise, we'll explore how co-op ownership means you own a world of opportunities. Tune in on Tuesdays or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. Pride, it runs deep for those in agriculture, but that pride can also prevent farmers from asking for help when it's needed most. An injury, illness, or natural disaster is a heavy burden for any operation to bear. Farm Rescue is here to help shoulder that burden. 
We are a nonprofit organization helping farm families in crisis with free planting, haying, and harvesting assistance. There is no pride lost when it comes to farm rescue. Learn more at farmrescue.org. Is your bathroom looking old and worn out? Want to update it, but you don't know where to start? Then let BCI Bath & Shower show you how to turn that old bath into an aisle of beauty and functionality. Our residential bathroom solutions provide the best value on the market, and our customer service is second to none. Our cost-effective BCI Bath & Shower family of products has what you need. Remodeling our bathroom was a big decision for us. They didn't make a mess out of our house at all. And at the end of the day, we had a beautiful new bathroom. And it was a great experience the whole way through. We have the best monthly payment programs in the industry, with payments as low as $68 per month, or no interest, no payments for 18 months. For a limited time, be one of the first 100 callers who schedule a free in-home consultation and receive $500 off. Call 800-721-9985 for a free no-obligation price quote. That's 800-721-9985. Factory trained and certified installers made in the USA and discounts for seniors and military. BCI Bath & Shower, the leader in affordable bathroom products. That's 800-721-9985. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. We drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We, we win. We, 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 we are, are the, the foundation, foundation fighting, fighting blindness. blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Information farmers and ranchers need to know. AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to AOA. Global beef trade has been in the news. It's been the topic of a lot of conversations as 2023 has gotten underway. We've seen disruptions to Brazil's beef trade. We've seen some openings for American beef trade. And now we might be dealing with a case of more imports coming into the United States, this time from the country of Paraguay. Joining us for an update is Kent Backus. He's the executive director for government affairs at the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. And Kent, Paraguayan beef, is it coming? to America. Well, good morning, Mike, and thanks for having me uh, on your program. Uh, so yesterday, USDA published a proposed rule to allow for the importation of fresh and frozen beef from the country of Paraguay. Uh, Paraguay has, has not had access to the U.S. Uh, and for a long, uh, it, for one of the main reasons is because they have a history of foot and mouth disease. But Paraguay's been going through this, this uh, lengthy application process for the better part of almost 20 years, uh, trying to get access to this market. Uh, the Food Safety Inspection Service has already kind of given their uh, stamp of approval, but uh, the, uh, the USDA APHIS uh, had to review Paraguay's system because they have that history of foot and mouth disease. And uh, APHIS is recommending that uh, Paraguay should be allowed access to this market. Uh, they essentially said that the, the risk is low, uh, you know, for uh, the potential uh, risk uh, to our herd from Paraguayan imports. Uh, but we have some concerns because, you know, after reviewing their proposed rules, some of the some of the logic doesn't it just doesn't seem to add up. Uh, you know, with Paraguay, they've had FMD cases as, as recently as 2012. But the information that, that APHIS is using to justify this access, uh, those rely on site visits from 2008 and 2014. And I don't know about you, but a lot has changed in this world since then. And I think, you know, it would, it, it's only right that USDA go back and actually go down there and have a, a thorough audit and review process on the animal health side to make sure there's no potential risk to our market. Uh, you know, Paraguay, uh, 
you know, they're not a, they're not a major exporter like us. They, they do export to other, other markets around the world. But, uh, you know, by them having access to the U.S., you know, that essentially is, is the U.S. giving them the stamp of approval that will be used to market their products in other places. Uh, and, and that's fine as long as they are, are actually uh, offering an equivalent safety standard of what we have. But we have concerns that some of these decisions may have been made off of old data, and we think it's only right uh, and that uh, it's the responsible thing to do for USDA to go back and have recent audits and recent data that can be reviewed that can confirm that this is no risk uh, to the U.S. market. Yeah, it certainly makes sense. You'd want to have the most up-to-date eyes on before bringing these products back into the U.S., especially when there is an animal disease traceability concern. Now, Kent, you mentioned the Paraguayans, not huge beef producers, not huge beef exporters, but no doubt this would still have an impact on our markets. What sort of market impact would you anticipate if Paraguayan beef starts making its way north? Yeah, I mean, you know, compared to uh, compared to their Brazilian neighbors, Paraguay is not as big of a player, but uh, you know, they would they would really want to kind of send some of the same products up there. A lot of that would be lean beef trimmings, uh, but you know, they would have to compete in that same other country quota with Brazil, with the Europeans, uh, and and with the Japanese. And so, <clears throat> there's not a lot of room for them to to really develop a market here, but. Uh, what they're going to sell is it's going to be grass finished, uh, you know, lower quality lean beef trimmings that are going to be used uh, for ground beef. Uh, so not uh, not a, a major competitor here in the domestic market, uh, and that's not our that's not our initial concern. The concern is that you know by them having access here, you know, considering that you know not only have, have they had FMD, but all their neighbors have had FMD. Uh, you know, we need to make sure that you know, that everything's up to up to code and that. The systems they have in place are not going to put our Absolutely. That is what it comes down to. And Kent, I'm curious as we think about uh, what is happening around the world. We've got this potential to get some, uh, some Paraguayan beef in the U.S. And we're also seeing the Canadians get some of their beef into Japan. What does this mean here for, for the U.S. beef producer? So, I mean, when you look at the Japanese market, you know, Canada is... They've had a lot of restrictions on what they can sell into that market. This latest development uh, means that now Canada can sell ground beef and, uh, and other you know, process cuts into the Japanese market. That's something we've been able to do for quite some time. Uh, so we'll have a little bit of competition there. But you know, we've had uh, we've had a real advantage in that market for uh, for years because of you know the, the strong science based and market based uh, access that we have. Uh, so now we'll have a little bit more competition uh, from the Canadians, but you know overall Japan's going to be a, a big market for us. Uh, we continue to, to see uh, strong sales uh, throughout that whole region, uh, but you know uh, we're only competitive. We're only as competitive as our as our most recent agreements, and uh, you know that that's one thing that we're kind of disappointed in with this administration is the fact that you know all of our allies are out there and they're negotiating greater market access to other countries, securing you know, greater access to foreign consumers for their products. And that puts them at a competitive advantage. We look at the comprehensive and progressive Trans-Pacific Partnership. That's one example. Uh, but you also see these regional agreements popping up uh, all over the Americas and in Africa and other places like that. And the U.S. is notably absent. So you know that is something we will continue to, to, to pressure this administration to do get back to the table and open these markets for uh, our exports so that we can you know, deliver greater value for every cut of beef and put those profits back in the pockets of our producers. Kent, the topic, the conversation around the CPTPP, that Trans-Pacific Partnership that the United States got out of back in 2016, now that it is sort of reopening things, is there still a conversation to bring the U.S. back into that? I think there, I think there's a lot of uh, interest from those members of the comprehensive, progressive, trans-Pacific partnership. Uh, I think we're going to have to find a, a more brief uh, acronym for uh, for that agreement. But you know, there a lot of those uh, a lot of those countries want to see the U.S. as part of this. This was designed to hold China in check, and without the U.S. there, that definitely creates a vacuum. It creates a major void. But with the U.S. at the table, that creates a lot of leverage. I think there's a lot of interest uh, to have us return 
but the political reality is is that you know uh, you've had the leaders in both Republican and Democrat parties uh, for years talk about how toxic uh, the TPP is, uh, and that's it's it's an easy you know political punchline. But the reality is is that's leaving all the farmers and ranchers out in the cold. Uh, so we're going to have to find a way to re-engage, whether it's through you know this or through other measures. But uh, the fact that the U.S. is notably absent uh, is not lost on our trade partners. I think it sends the wrong message to the rest of the world. Yeah, yeah, it's, uh, that messaging is so important when we're talking global trade. Kent, messaging is also important on the political sphere here locally. As you think about what's coming in Washington, D.C. in the week ahead, what are some topics that you're watching from a cattle perspective? I think you know for us uh, we're we're going to be watching the, uh, you know, the the House Agriculture Committee uh, today is holding a hearing and the only witness is Secretary Vilsack. Uh, you know, we would like to see uh, the secretary talk more about you know what USDA is is doing uh, not only uh, to uh, you know, continue to provide uh, all their services to uh, our farmers and ranchers, but uh, you know we would like to know what USDA is going to do in response to Brazil. Uh, we would like to know more about. Uh, you know, how um, uh, USDA is going to hold our trade partners accountable. Uh, I think there are some, some bigger issues that are out there that uh, you know, we would like our government to engage on. I think those are going to be key. Uh, but, you know, in addition to that, uh, this is appropriation season. So if the secretary is going to be in front of two appropriations committee uh, committees this week, and, and so he's, he's going to have a busy week. Uh, but other than that, you know, we're also watching what's happening in the courts. Uh, and waiting to see what happens uh, you know, regarding Lourdes. There's a lot that's out there. And I would encourage people that uh, if you're not uh, up to date, you know, if you're not uh, learning about this stuff daily, uh, then reach out to us at NCBA. You know, you know, join us in our efforts because it's important that we are at the table and we are engaging with the entire government, not just Congress, but with all of the agencies and uh, with, with every, uh, every aspect there because, uh, you know, this government, uh, in particular, is looking for uh, they're looking for ways, uh, you know, to, to play a greater role in your operation, whether you want them to or not. And so, it's important that we uh, direct government to you know, ways that will actually be helpful to us, and, and not uh, continue to have you know, this massive uh, regulatory compliance issues and other things like that that, that bog us down. Uh, so, if you're not engaged, uh, it's time to step up. Absolutely. If you're not at the table, you're on the menu, folks. That's Kent Backus, NCBA Executive Director of Government Affairs. Kent, thanks for joining us today. And folks, stay here. We'll have more AOA coming up when we return. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart. Did you know that pork is the world's most consumed meat? Pork comprises over one-third of all meat consumed. Pigs were domesticated over 9,000 years ago in 7,000 BC, and there are more than 180 species of pigs. Why pork? Well, it's not just because everybody loves bacon. Historically speaking, pork is a very easy meat to preserve via smoking, curing, or salting. Not only could it keep well before refrigeration, but it also tastes great under various preservation tactics and adaptable to a variety of flavors, spices, and dishes across different cultures and regions. There are twice as many pigs as there are people in Denmark. Did you also know that China is the world's lead pork producer? In 2020, they produced an impressive 41.13 million metric tons of the meat, which equates to almost 91 billion pounds. So the next time you dive into that plate of bacon, know that pork is the world's most consumed meat. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Risvet with this market update. China continues to aggressively buy corn and soybeans on the recent price breaks, even though near-term demand is soft due to the sluggish economy and poor feeding margins. China's soybean crush is only about 1.5 million metric tons per week. USDA confirmed on Thursday that China purchased 2-plus million metric tons of U.S. corn in the previous week, and it continues to buy corn on nearly a daily basis. 
Cash sources are indicating that China bought another 24 cargoes of Brazilian soybeans last week, mostly for April to July shipment. Now, that's not confirmed, but the recent pace of corn and soybean purchases do seem to confirm the expectations that China would take advantage of lower prices this year to rebuild its reserves. Argentina's record drought may eventually see soybean losses there offset much of the massive increase in Brazilian production. Lost corn production in Argentina combines with losses in Ukraine to tighten global supplies, with Brazil's safrina production at risk due to late planting as well. China is also edging its risks amid rising tensions with the United States. It doesn't want to be dependent on the U.S. commodities down the road if those rising tensions eventually lead to failure of trade. And one of those tensions is that Taiwan's president is expected to make stops in New York and California this week as stopovers on her trip to and from Central America. She's expected to meet with U.S. House Speaker Kevin McCarthy on her stopover in California. It does anger Chinese officials who see it as an attempt by the United States to fuel the independence movement in Taiwan. Simultaneously, the former leader of Taiwan, who is more sympathetic to mainland China, started a 12-day trip to the mainland yesterday where he will visit sites with deep historical, cultural, and political significance. His trip is meant to appeal to that growing sector of Taiwan's population who simply want peace. That's the group that China's Xi Jinping wants to appeal to in his efforts to reunite Taiwan to the mainland. You're listening to AOA for the American Ag Network. I'm Richard Ristvet. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. AOA continues this morning, and we're continuing with a focus on protein, specifically What's happening in the world of global protein? We heard from Kent Backus there about Paraguayan beef possibly making its way to the U.S. Now we're going to turn the tables, look at how U.S. beef is moving to new places around the world. And joining us for this conversation is Joe Sheely, the Vice President of Communications over at the U.S. Meat Export Federation. And Joe, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you. Glad to be here, Mike. Let's start here with what's developing over in the Philippines. Joe, that has been a great market for U.S. pork, but I understand some tariff rules might be changing over there. What's on the table with the Philippines? Well, the Tariff Commission in the Philippines is taking a uh, is doing a regular review of all of their import tariffs uh, for agricultural and non-agricultural products. So we're taking that opportunity to uh, chime in and request that some recent tariff reductions for imported pork uh, would be adopted long term. Uh, about just about two years ago, uh, Philippines they were facing an African swine fever related pork shortage, so they reduced uh, what are really among the highest tariffs in the world on uh, on imported pork. Uh, dropping most pork would enter the Philippines now at about a 25% tariff, which is still very high, but that's down from 40. And uh, we would request that they adopt that long term. We think that would help, you know, what's pr a pretty price sensitive market. This would help bolster pork consumption and uh, allow us to uh, to market a wider range of cuts there. Now, Joe, when we're talking pork tariffs in the Philippines, this 25% tariff on pork, is that just on U.S. pork or is that on all tonnage of pork from anywhere coming into the Philippines? That's on pork from anywhere. They do have a quota. It's about 54,000 tons. 
uh, where you can get a reduced rate right now at 15%. Uh, that would normally be 30, uh, but the uh, it doesn't cover it doesn't cover much volume, and the dealing with the the uh, quota administrator can be difficult. So so most pork is going in at that 25% rate. And again, we we'd love to see that even lower. Uh, but 25% down from 40 would be a start. Uh, the Philippines does not currently have any free trade agreements with with any major pork supplier. They do take pork from a wide range of suppliers, including Europe and Canada and Brazil. And uh, if any if any uh, major supplier ever does get an FTA with the Philippines, there's going to be some some real opportunity for growth there because they'll have a, a competitive advantage. But right now, everybody's kind of on the same tariff playing field in in the Philippines. All right. Well, you know, you mentioned the importance of these FTAs, the free trade agreements, the negotiations that happen with countries around the globe. And from the perspective of the United States, the chief person making those negotiations is U.S. trade negotiator uh, uh, Ty. And I understand she was recently before Congress. Joe, what did Congress thought? What what did they think about her performance so far as, as the U.S. trade representative? Well, I think Ambassador Ty is very well respected on Capitol Hill. She's had uh, good bipartisan support for, for her appointment. And I think most people uh, are very strong supporters of her, her qualifications and her capabilities. Uh, I sat in on, on those hearings, uh, listened in on them. And I think the frustration is really that, that the, uh, the administration's trade agenda is not viewed as being aggressive enough as far as market access for for U.S. exports, especially agricultural exports, so I don't know that it's a, so much a frustration with Ambassador Tai's performance, but they'd like to see. I think with the theme that you kept hearing is that they'd like to see a more aggressive trade agenda. Okay, that is a good distinction. So Ty doing the best she can within the strictures of this administration. And Joe, I'm curious, this administration, one of the talking points on trade that they have been uh, very supportive of is the IPEF, that Indo-Pacific Economic Framework. Progress still being made on that front, have you heard? Well, they're still in the in the pretty early stages, and uh, Southeast Asia is a region, and of course it's not completely limited to Southeast Asia, but some of the participating countries are from Southeast Asia, and we do see that as a region where there are non-tariff barriers, especially in countries like Indonesia, uh, that have held back exports of, of U.S. red meat over the years, and so we do see some uh, some potential for progress in that region, even if you don't address tariffs. But certainly, uh, certainly we would favor, uh, favor an approach that would, that would look to reduce tariffs as well, because, uh, you know, some pretty price sensitive markets there, not dealing with, with uh, a, a real high income scale. And so any reduction in tariffs would certainly make certainly make our products more available to a wider uh, a wider range of customers. Uh, but there are non-tariff barriers that if they can be addressed in the IPEF, uh, that would certainly be uh, that certainly be a step in the right direction. Well, Joe, on the free trade front, I did hear conversations. In fact, I think we talked about it briefly on the show uh, last week about an FTA in negotiation with the country of Kenya. Now, when we think about Africa, is that a place that USMEF sees as, as some opportunity for U.S. meat exports as we get deeper into this decade? Well, we are very bullish on the growth potential on the African continent. Um, not Kenya would not be at the top of that list, but it's certainly a place to start. And in uh, a trade agreement with Kenya uh, would hopefully uh, give us some momentum in that region as far as as far as better access for for U.S. red meat. Um, we have chimed in with comments on the Kenya trade initiative, and again, here we we there are some some non-tariff barriers that could be addressed. They have an import licensing system that's kind of difficult. They have some uh, uh, restrictions on transshipment of product, uh, uh, requesting that products must be shipped directly to Kenya. Those are all things that add costs. And, and if, we can, uh, if we can chip away at those non-tariff barriers, that would be very positive. But uh, Kenya on USB, for example, has an applied tariff rate of about 35%. And unless we can get some progress there, 
uh, it would be difficult to gain much traction in that market. So again, uh, you know, certainly uh, addressing non-tariff barriers is better than nothing, uh, but you have some tariffs there that are just frankly trade prohibitive. All right. So we'll see if if we can get some actual progress done as those negotiations push forward. Joe, while we've got you on the line, of course, Asia has been a very hot market for U.S. protein. Both pork is African swine fever ran through China and then beef as we got that approval into China here over the past couple of years. With the reopening of China following the removal of their covid policy, what's the what's the impression that USMEF staffers get on the ground there in China. Is the economy reopening? Is there still hope for a meat demand in that country? Oh, definitely. I think that uh, that it was a it was kind of a uh, some bizarre circumstances right at the end of 2022 because uh, China, in the face of some pretty massive protests, finally lifted the restrictions, uh, their COVID-related restrictions, but it happened right as they were facing really their first big COVID wave. And so it was hard to get a read on, you know, what, what is going to be the consumer's response to this. So now that they're through the COVID wave and they're starting to uh, just now really starting to normalize travel and, and, and freedom of movement within the country, I think now we're just starting to get a read on uh, the, the rebound in, in uh, the food service industry, the hospitality industry. That all bodes very well for for U.S. Uh, red meat in China, uh, but we're still, I think, in the early stages of that rebound. Uh, but but we do see we do see potential for that not only in China but some other Asian countries that were really um, really took a very gradual approach to lifting their COVID restrictions. Even in uh, Korea and Japan, they're just now getting around to lifting their indoor mask mandates. Um, they're there, uh, the, there's still some COVID-related restrictions that are just now being lifted in those countries. And uh, so we, we're a long way from getting back really to a pre-COVID normal, uh, but we're making progress. And so we do see, we do see momentum for, for U.S. red meat as a result of that coming, uh, coming as this year goes on. Well, that is good news. And of course, Joe, uh, you guys like to get together at USMEF, share the stories and the work that you've been doing. And uh, you've got a conference coming up in May. Can you fill us in on some of the details? Do you have those handy? Yes, our spring conference is in Minneapolis this year. It's uh, May 24th to 26th. And we've got a really exciting agenda. We, uh, uh, as there have been some uh, I wouldn't say storm clouds, but some some uh, troubling issues that have surfaced on U.S.-Mexico trade relations, not necessarily directly related to red meat, but the Mexican market is so important to us uh, that we like to keep a, a, a close eye on U.S.-Mexico trade relations, and so that's going to be the focus of one of our general sessions. We'll also have former House Ag Committee uh, Chair Colin Peterson will be there to talk about the challenges of 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 crafting a, a new farm bill and we'll hear from our uh, we'll hear from our staff around the world but especially in Asia about uh, progress in the international market so we're we're very excited about the agenda we in, invite any uh, producers out there that would like to attend to uh, to get that information and, and join us in Minneapolis Absolutely, folks. May 24th to the 26th in Minneapolis, the world of global meat trade is a fascinating one. And it is uh, it is a very interesting period in the world of global meat trade right now. So our thanks to USMEF for doing the work to get that U.S. protein out there around the world. And our thanks to Joe Sheely for joining us on today's program for an update. Joe, always appreciate the news from our friends at the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Great, Mike. Thanks for having me. And folks, stick around. When AOA returns, we're going to go back to China, this time not from a protein, animal protein perspective, from a soy protein perspective. Our friends from the U.S. Soy Export Council will join us here for the final segment when AOA returns. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel. Fueled by innovation, powered to perform. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end. The good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating. Your kidneys could keep filtering. 
and your intestines and keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration. Hey, Dad. Your prescription will be ready in just a minute. Hey, Dad. Your laundry will be ready in just a minute. Dad, your lunch will be ready in just a minute. Hey, honey. Why don't you take a minute? When you help care for a loved one, you give them as much time as you can, making sure they're safe and comfortable. But it's just as important that you take some time for yourself. At AARP, we can help with information and useful tips on how you can maintain a healthy life balance, care for your own physical and mental well-being, and manage the challenges of caring for a loved one. Because the better care you take of yourself, the better care you can provide for your loved one. Thanks, Dad. Thank you. You're there for them. We're here for you. Find free care guides to support you and your loved one at aarp.org caregiving. That's aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. This is Around the Table, where we explore the benefits of cooperative ownership. In this third installment in a six-week series, Nelson Neal, the head of CHS Global Research, describes another trend shaping the future of agriculture. Today, we're talking technology. Nelson, you've pointed to three key trends in technology that are affecting agriculture. What are those three trends? First, let's talk about RPAs, or robotic process automation. These are packages of software that can execute a lot of the daily and mundane tasks that sometimes happen in a business. So anything a human can do with a computer, an RPA can likely execute against it as well. Think about spreadsheet work, think about sending out invoices, think about sending out daily barge schedules or basis prices. A lot of the stuff that happens at the farm and ag retail level can be executed by this RPA concept, especially when you consider labor and some of the issues we're having both domestically and globally and certainly within agriculture. This may be a partial solution to that issue. Second technology is drones. I think drones have certainly hit their mark in terms of agronomy and crop scouting, understanding where we have disease pressure if possible. But there are other uses for drones in agriculture. You can use a drone to count livestock head, for example. We can use drones to make a volumetric calculation of a ground pile of corn or of soybeans and understand how many bushels we have. And the third is this concept of autonomous vehicles. Certainly, we've got application and launch of autonomous tractors, uh, but you kind of see it all around us. I think the American Trucking Association, if I'm not mistaken, forecasts that we might be short over 100,000 truck drivers by the year 2030. So we've got to find solutions. And you'll see that I think it's somewhere in the neighborhood of 44 states have approved autonomous semi-truck driver testing. So that's probably the, the third leg of the technology stool that I think will have longer term implications on agriculture. That's Nelson Neal, head of CHS Global Research. Thank you for joining us here around the table. Learn more about the benefits of cooperative ownership at cooperativeownership.com. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, they deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Oil that runs smart.
keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed on AOA. Now back to Mike Pearson. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. This time of year, when we talk about soybeans, the conversation generally focuses on the beans that are coming out of that soybean harvest down in Brazil and making their way onto the global stage. But while that big migration is happening down in Brazil, work is still being done around the world to drive demand for U.S. soybeans. And so much of that work is done by our friends at the U.S. Soy Export Council, and they've got some new initiatives. They're developing a notable one over in China. Joining us now to fill us in on the details is Paul Burke. He serves as the executive director at the Soy Excellence Centers, the four regional hubs around the world that help promote American soybeans. Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. Well, it's my pleasure, Mike, and I hope everybody out there is uh, having a great day. Absolutely. Let's talk about how we're going to make the day better for the American soy industry with this launch, Paul, of a new value chain innovation center in China. What is that? What does it mean? Okay, very good. Thank you, Mike. Um, so let's first of all uh, make sure that uh, all of our listeners know that China is still the most important export market for U.S. soy. While we are working every day to help to diversify our demand into new emerging markets, such as the work we're doing in the Soy Excellence Centers. We also know that we need to continue to remain engaged and meet the needs of our Chinese customers because there's still opportunity for growth there, and we have a very, we're in a very good position in terms of our market share. We want to maintain that while we develop more demand in emerging markets. So the soy value chain innovation center in china has a very specific focus and that is is to promote and differentiate u.s soy from the brazilian competition uh, that you referred to a little bit earlier how do we do that well we have a couple we have many tools to do that one of them is what we call the protein value calculator in which we can (laughs) excuse me we can plug into numbers uh the cost of Brazilian soybean meal and the cost of uh, U.S. Uh, soybean meal produced from U.S. soy and be able to demonstrate with the higher percentages of available amino acids and energy exactly how much more money uh, a feed miller would earn by using U.S. soybean meal. Likewise, we have a soybean oil value calculator where we can show that the oil that's extracted from U.S. soybeans actually uh, provides a refiner with higher uh, uh, returns if they were to very specifically ask for uh, soybean oil, uh, ask for crude soybean oil from uh, U.S. soybeans. Um, Some of the other things that we have, of course, is the uh, U.S. Soy Soy Sustainability Assurance Protocol. We're working very hard in China to be able to demonstrate to the producers there who have their, their customers are uh, asking to to know more about the sustainability of their supply chain, we, we're we're meeting those solutions for our Chinese importers as well as their downstream customers. And uh, and the Soy uh, Value Chain Innovation Center will be a hub where we're going to be uh, working with the current decision makers in the Chinese soy industry and pre- promoting these tools and this information that further differentiates U.S. soy. That is very cool, Paul. So the folks coming to the Value Chain Innovation Center, you anticipate being executives coming to learn about how U.S. soy can make their businesses more profitable? That's exactly it. Um, okay. This is not a, too, much of a, a, too much of a difference from how we've been doing programs. But what, what we decided to do uh, uh, now is, is to, to localize it at one location, and we're doing this in Henan province in China, which is a little bit different from the way in which we would have done this in the past, where we would travel around the country of China doing these particular um, meetings and educations. Now we're trying to centralize it, and one of the reasons is is because the Hunan uh, provincial government has really rolled out uh, the proverbial red carpet. They're offering us resources. They're offering us uh, places uh, to to, to house the the Soy Innovation Center. And so we're going to take advantage of that, and it's just going to make um, the overall administrations of our program in China a lot easier, and that's one of the reasons why we're pursuing it. But we are really excited with this launch. 
Paul, standing up a program like this in a foreign country has to be a time-consuming endeavor. Do we have a handle on what the setup and rollout time is going to look to get this Value Chain Innovation Center up and running? Well, uh, we've actually been working on this. Uh, my colleagues in China have been working on this, I think, going back uh, to um, last fall. And so we, uh, three weeks ago, we virtually signed a memorandum of understanding with the Henan uh, provincial uh, government officials. We did that uh, in Washington, D.C., and we had representatives from the Chinese embassy there. So we signed the MOU three weeks ago, and uh, actually in two weeks, our CEO, Jim Sutter, and uh, some of our other um, uh, board members will be going over to China uh, for the official uh, ribbon-cutting ceremony, and we think that we will probably be running the first uh, cohort of trainees through there sometime in April. So it's, it's been going, you know, the, the work has been going on for about nine months or so. That will be very neat. And then once this is up and going, obviously the, the value of American soybean relative to our competition around the world will have, uh, will have a, a better spotlight. It sounds like in China, Paul, that's gotta be exciting from your perspective with USEC. Oh, absolutely. The, like I say, we, um, the, the U S soybean farmers through their, through their checkoff, have been helping us to create these tools, as I mentioned, the oil value calculator, the meal value calculator, the soy sustainability assurance protocol. And I cannot tell you how important these are to around the world, to not only in China, to differentiate and show the value of US soy. You know, we're not always the lowest cost provider, but when you use these tools, you see that when it comes to uh, purchasing a slightly higher product, you're actually getting a, uh, a more favorable return on investment um, in terms of your throughput. Absolutely. It makes a lot of sense sometimes to sell products on value, not necessarily on price. Folks, we've been talking with Paul Burke, exactly. the executive director of the Soy Excellence Centers. Paul, thanks for joining us today. Good luck to USEC and moving more U.S. protein overseas. And folks, tune in tomorrow. We'll have more AOA. We'll talk with Arlen Suderman of Stonex. Tune in then. Thanks so much, everybody. Agriculture of America is brought to you by Senex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform. What a great organization, helping families in need like ours. It's a godsend. When an unexpected crisis strikes, Farm Rescue is here to help. Assistance is available free of charge to farm families experiencing a major injury, illness, or natural disaster. Our volunteers and equipment are ready to spring into action planting, haying, and harvest support. If you or someone you know could use a helping hand, visit farmrescue.org today. Tune in the first Wednesday of every month to listen to the monthly grind here on AOA. It's brought to you by our friends at the National Corn Growers Association, and each month we're going to dig into one specific aspect of corn demand. What happens to this grain after it leaves your operations and enters the global supply chain? That's what we're going to talk about each month on the monthly grind. Again, that's the first Wednesday of every month, and you can also find us wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. It's a show you don't want to miss. Through the years, you've really kept up with the times. You're on social media. Like, like, dislike, block. Maintained your health. 10,000 steps. I'm a beast. You even programmed your own smart home. In 10 minutes, remind me that I'm a genius. In 10 minutes, I'll remind you that you're a genius. If you can do all that, you can definitely save for retirement. Just go to aceyourretirement.org, a free online tool sponsored by AARP that can help you get on track with your retirement savings no matter your age. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll meet Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach, and in just three minutes, get personalized recommendations to help boost your retirement savings. They're easy to understand and work with your lifestyle. It's quick, easy, and free. Plus, it's brought to you by AARP, so you know they got your back. You are a genius. Take charge of your retirement. Go to aceyourretirement.org now. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council.